second of three podcasts, NAC dance producer Kathy Levy continues her conversation with a Ballet de la Baie's trailblazing founder and choreographer, Alain Platel. Happy listening. This piece um, caught the attention of uh, a lot of theater directors and festival directors, and uh, I think I read that it was at a at an event in Amsterdam, or <laughs> there were a number of people there, and and all of a sudden it was touring for three or four years. That must have caught you off guard on a, on a certain level, yes. It was uh, it was an absolute absolute surprise because I remember well this evening because we were performing in Amsterdam and there was really not so many people there were not so many people who were in the audience the first night and the second night all of a sudden it was a full house and that was because there was um uh, an ietm meeting in amsterdam informal european tita meeting which is this um, meeting of of people who are working in the theater sector and just meet each other in an informal way and then very often in the city where they meet things are organized and they had a whole program uh, in Amsterdam, which was a very official program. They had to see these big uh, dance and theater companies. And uh, a, a large part of the group got fed up with that and they tried to to find the more alternative work. And for some reason, they ended up in uh, this place <laughs> where we were, for, were, were performing Bonjour Madame. And, and for another reason, they collectively <laughs> fell in love with this performance and they kind of all bought it. And from there on, we we did this uh, amazing tour that brought us to places like Lithuania, I remember. Lithuania was really, really, really particular because it, it was in the beginning of the 90s, so it it just got independent. So, wow. so there was this, this, this strange atmosphere in Vilnius. And um, we apparently made a performance that for people there, was for some reason a huge recognition of something and uh, I recall that um, we, we we performed it I think three or four times there and then they asked us if we wanted to do an extra performance because there were too many people interested to come and see and ex especially young people uh, wanted to see it and um, they couldn't get in and we said okay we do it on one condition that is that it's free you know that we do an extra performance and everybody can get can in come. for free yeah because there was absolutely not a lot of money over there and um at the end of the performance uh it was such a, an emotional event because at the end of the performance many people uh, from the audience came on stage to thank the dancers by giving something uh, like and and the most extraordinary things like a T-shirt they had on oh or my gosh. a ring or some flowers that they 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 got by coming to the theater. I mean, I remember the whole cast was crying like <laughs> that was an, an, an one of those historical moments yeah. in the, in the history of touring. But yeah, in um, this group of um, of uh, theater directors collectively <laughs> bought the performance and that uh, uh, opened up the, 
the international uh, doors, let's I, say. I, I know who some of those folks were, and, and I know that they remained for many years some of the most important and influential theater directors around, uh, and, yeah. and people who, you know, who made it their work, if you will, to support artists with original voices. Mm. So they were obviously in the right place at, uh, at the right time. For and we were too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and this piece went on yeah. to tour for an awfully long time, didn't it? Yeah, we, we, I think I'm going to start a campaign for you to remount it. I just thought I'd tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the 2012 version of uh, Bonjour Madame. Yeah, we toured for four years with it. Uh -huh. Um, not not the whole time, of course, mm -hmm. but in, in, in certain periods. Mm -hmm. And and um, I remember the last performance was also this this historic moment because, as I as I said, the whole title of the performance was Bonjour Madame, comment allez-vous aujourd'hui? Il fait beau, il va sans doute pleuvoir, etc. And the last performance was in in um, in Avignon, in uh, in open air, and in the middle of the performance it started to rain. Uh, heavily, and so we had to stop <laughs> the the performance. Uh, it was just for uh, for a moment. It lasted like ten minutes. So all the all the people from the audience went into the gallery around the the theater because it was in convent that we uh, performed, and then helped us to clean the stage, and then we continued to uh, the perform. I mean, we 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 started again and continued until the end, and it was very powerful. Yeah. I remember seeing that piece on, uh, in the, I guess, the second half of the 1990s when um, it came to Montreal for the dance festival in Montreal. And I had had the good fortune of seeing other work from Flanders. And of course, I'd seen Pina Bausch. And, you know, I was starting in my life to investigate what was going on in, in choreography and trying to travel and catch what I could. But I, I will never forget just this very clear moment when I just knew that this was the kind of art that I wanted in my life, that this was for me now an experience, you know, because I grew up on the ballet and, and, and mm. you know, theater yeah. and my mother is a huge fan and, you know, it, was, it wasn't something that was new to me to go to the theater, but there was something so human and raw and profound about that work that it as a viewer, not even as a producer, but as a viewer, just someone for whom theater is an essential part of one's life, I turn the corner about needing to have theater on that level and that experience. That's what that piece uh, gave to me. It set a big, very high standard because it was so, um, it could be so personal and so universal at the same time. But you know, we, 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 I was absolutely not aware of that at the time. On the contrary, I remember when we um, first premiered in, in Belgium, the critics were uh, horrible. They were extremely negative. It was only, um, you know, when, when the piece had such a success abroad that uh, in Belgium they realized something was happening. And for me also, I wasn't, I, 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 uh, I could absolutely not, it was something, uh, f that happened, you know, I enjoyed the, the making of this performance so much and maybe there is a link between that, between the joy you feel in making the production and the final result. I think there is a link. <laughs> uh, if you feel joy by making a performance, then it will be a good performance. I'm, I'm nearly sure about that. Um, 
but but um, the whole effect of of it, not only on my personal life and the way I worked, but then as I heard also on many people who saw the performance, we could not think of. It was a complete surprise to to us. And as I say, especially uh, when I refer to the extreme negative critics that we had in Belgium, and there is an anecdote that that um, is linked to these critics because. You know, uh, when when we celebrated our 20th anniversary of the company, we made a book, and um, I thought I'm going to to meet people that during those 20 years were very important for me or were important in some sense, and for each five years, somebody that I can uh, relate to this period, and um, I went to to. Uh, to look for the the journalist who who made who wrote his extreme negative critic about Bonjour Madame, because I by that time and I'm talking about 15 years later, I knew or 10 years later I knew she was a a, a very very interesting person, and uh, continued to work in the dance sector. She she wasn't a critic anymore, but now she's a professor at the university in in Antwerp, um, teaching uh, dance history. And at that time she was the beginning journalist and um, so I went to talk about um, the the beginning of the 90s with her and of course I, I asked her about where this critic came from because she was really harsh about the the, the performance and it, this um, this um, conversation I had with her was one of the most uh, touching conversations I ever had mm. <laughs> with somebody because she she started she said I knew you would would ask this <laughs> so I, I uh, before you came I was looking for what did I write at that time so I, I reread the whole thing and uh, it's not important on how she defended which or not defended which she, because she was she was in fact very surprised that she wrote this at that time but for her it was also um, a possibility to trace back how she was during that time between 90 and 95 and she she talked a lot about what she lived during this this whole period, and for me this interview has become uh, extremely essential, and I would urge all uh, dance critics to read it because it's so uh, revealing on how somebody's personality is so important even in journalism. And in how you look at things, and how you describe them, in your tastes, in your preferences, and in how uh, you perceive things and project certain things. It's a it's a beautiful uh, interview, and I'm very very happy that I um, took the courage to go back to this moment mm -hmm. because I remember it. Um, this negative critic and others at that time were. Um, having an, an extreme uh, big effect on me um, because you're, you're always fragile when you make things, but especially in this period because I felt so strange to be a, a theater director in the midst of of people that I thought was were, were real, real directors. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt very, very insecure, but I was proud about this performance. So when somebody was knocking it down it yeah it had a big effect on me was she the were there were there lots of people doing that or was it mostly out of belgium like when you went other places obviously it was received in a different way in general the, the critics were much more positive yeah. uh, abroad um but this is something i have always had in belgium
Yeah, it's very rare that um, um, uh, a performance is um, unanim unanimous, uh, uh, received in a positive way in mm. Belgium. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, it's it's uh, you'd think that that would change after a while. Just as people become to understand your work and understand your reference points, and I think it becomes um, worse uh, because, first of all, um, the expectations always grow. Um, you're as good as your last work you made, you know, and and just um, just that becomes always the reference. Um, that's one thing, and then also there is such a huge choice <laughs> in Belgium of uh, what can be considered as very good work. So um, I think it's easier to um, be more critical mm -hmm. about what is happening. And there are also, there's a lot of critical discourse, isn't there? There's a lot yeah. of people writing and yeah, yeah. we don't have that volume uh, here in Canada, unfortunately. But but given what you've just said, you're, you're always, you're only as good as your last work. Can you remember what it felt like to leave Bonjour Madame behind and go to something new? Did you take a long break? Did you, were you sure of what you wanted to do next? Well, in that period, there was always <coughs> um, the decision that I had taken to start a new work before the previous work was finished. Um, before it was finished touring? Or yeah, before it was, be, okay. be, before it was finished touring. Um, so that made it a little bit easier. And at that time, I was always changing the, the cast of the, so it was always like a, um, a chapter that was finished. Um, I think I always uh, protected myself from the huge emotions that are accompanying the end of a performance because I was realizing very much how, um, how important this moment of stopping was. Um, I recently, for some reason, I, uh, I was watching these images because I'm, I'm, I'm referring to this um, documentary that they made, Goldfish, and I hear myself saying that um, I consider theater as more and more as an exercise in um, trying to cope with how to die. Which is, wow. <laughs> which is very heavy, but it's a bit like that for me because f for me, uh, theater is an is an extreme metaphor for life. It only exists on the moment that it's performed, and you don't have that with any other art form except for live music. Uh, but but then th this is also for me performing arts. Um, all other forms of arts leave something behind and um, even when you make a film about the performance or a captation it's never the real thing it's a cliche it's something, but, uh, it's something else it's, it's another something piece else. of art yeah. yeah and in that sense uh, um, uh, theater performances for me are, are a, a very beautiful metaphor for the essence of life and so when it when a performance stops it's really like dying a little bit and in some sense, it's it's also true because uh, some people you never see back again. Um, and um, since I've I've decided not to uh, to make any form of repertoire, it also means that it's 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 gone. It's really gone. Hmm. So what did you do next? Then we 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 made La Tristesse Accomplissée. Okay. Um, With the, some of the same performers. 
I think there was one. If I recall well, there was only one who was in Kun. In, uh, Kun yeah. Mm. Our audience has seen Kun's uh, work import export we brought here a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. It's very strong, very beautiful. Yeah. We did it in Absolutely. our small hall. Yeah. Yeah. So and, Kun and, was um, the one who stayed. When yeah, the, I think from then on, uh, I just made the new productions because somebody asked me if I was interested to do something specific. And in the case of um, of La Tristesse Complice, there was a, a guy from a um, uh, music theater house who asked me if you would like to use the music that you love the most um, for a performance, what would you choose? And at that time it was Monteverdi. Um, it was, sorry, it was Purcell. And um, he said, okay, and how would you like it to look like? And then I, I thought, well, wouldn't it be fantastic if this music was performed by accordions? <laughs> and um, so they realized this, this idea. Um, and, 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 and I do realize also that, that from then on, uh, every performance that I made was linked to a specific question somebody asked me. A lot of questions about music? Yeah, very often, yeah. But yeah. those questions, I assume, also came from people who knew that that was a question you wanted to explore and answer. I mean, you're, you're I think, known as somebody for whom music is a very major inspiration in, in at least the beginning of some of the work. Yeah, yeah and this is also uh, an embarrassing story to tell because I'm not a musician. I can't even read uh, music. and um, Many musicians can't. It's about their really? heart. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> I think a lot of musicians just play. What a relief to yes. hear. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not a pianist, but certainly you know people who play yeah, guitar, accordion. I mean, I'm yeah. not sure that they necessarily all read. Yeah, but but, but um, this love for music or listening to music came from, from the guy that I referred to in the beginning of our talk, this teacher um, mm -hmm. I met. He was the one who introduced you, us to classical music, for example. Um, uh, we were then 16 years old, and we had to listen to the Matthias Passion of Bach. And um, our exam was to go and see a live performance of uh, the Matthias Passion. And uh, as he describes very often, uh, that it was so... Um, funny each year to see how 16 years old boys would react to this uh, to this um, proposition he makes you know they all go like what <laughs> do you think we're going to go to a church to listen to the <laughs> Matthias Fassi and then he said no and it's really and if you go close then you can really watch all these beautiful girls and women who are there <laughs> it's more than just listening to the music uh -huh. you know and it's true it's something that uh, inspired us a lot and many people i'm not the only one who was so inspired by this guy mm. but yeah music is is has been very often a trigger and that piece um tristessa complice uh, also toured uh, quite a lot from then on i think most pieces toured for about two years okay and yeah. that felt like a good life for a work yeah 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 making a performance was always like in between four and five months and then to tour for one year and a half felt good. Yeah. You also, I think, started around, was it around the same time that you began to be asked to work with uh, Victoria, this youth 
theater group um, based in Ghent? Was that sort exactly. of around the same period? Yeah, yeah. because um, the artistic director of that theater was also the one, one of those directors who invited us in the, f for the f very first performance we made, Stabat Mater. Um, he became the director of Victoria, and um, his merit, uh, in fact, the, you know, this guy should earn um, a statue in, in Ghent because he, <laughs> he, I think, is one of the most important um, theater figures that we have ever had, but not um, in the spots, but always in the background. And he has discovered so many people in Ghent and also put so many people together in making work that he thought would be interesting to combine. And so he was the one who asked me if I wanted to work together with Arne Sierens, a theater maker. And uh, I was absolutely intrigued by uh, the work of Arne, but I was also very afraid of him. Uh, he was one of these people who was on a piedestal mm -hmm. for me. And I thought his work was so good and so powerful, especially in the way he used language um, which at that time was quite new. It looked like people were just improvising the whole time and speaking their own slang on stage. So in the early 90s, that was quite new, the end of the 80s. Um, Dirk Powers br brought us together and uh, uh, Arne um, introduced me to the work of uh, a British photographer, Nick Woplington. Uh, who in the, the early 90s made this social photography. I mean, he, 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 he made portraits of, uh, let's say, poor people, you know. But he made them in color and he made f pictures of, of that world that were so alive and so... It was like a, a pure celebration of life. You had no... There was no link to to suffering or to, you know, there was, there was, it was pure, pure, pure life in, in, in a, in a, in a, in a joyful, uh, celebrating s s style, let's say. And we both were intrigued by that and uh, wanted to make a performance inspired on, on these pictures. And um, since I, I started to work together with adults and, and children, uh, we, we wanted to continue this work also in theater. And we were looking for um, a cast of children and adults to talk about family life. Um, and we together made three performances inspired on that. Uh, one was, was inspired on, the, on, 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 on one family and how they could live in pure chaos. Uh, another one was Bernadette, um, where a Dodgem car uh, set was uh, used on stage. Like bumper cars. Uh, bumper cars, yeah. yeah. Um, and Great metaphor about, <laughs> yeah, for family. <laughs> for family Excellent. and also for growing up, mm -hmm. because I don't know how it is here, but in, in Europe, the bumping cars are the place where you meet your first uh, uh, little boyfriend or girlfriend. Hmm. Um, so it was a, about growing up in in the outside world, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then we came back to the inside world in uh, Alamal, Indian. We are all uh, Indians, where two houses were on stage and where you could see four different families living together in a very narrow uh, 
spot. Um, three performances that um, for me are hugely important in who I am today. And would, would you say, well, why, why do you say that? Why are they hugely important for who you are? You know, it's, it's, it's um, I wouldn't say recently, I would say for the last five years, I realized that um, more and more that um, what I'm doing is, is not a job. Um, it is l learning how to live by making things together with other people. And I am stunned by um, who I have met until now and how each of them has nourished me and influenced me. And it's on not only the big shots, let's say the, the directors or the musical directors, but uh, it's also a lot of of uh, young people and um, amateurs and, and professional uh, dancers and, and uh, actors who have done that to me all the time. And I think I, 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 I always was aware of it, but I fully realize it now. And it's, it's something that um, there is no way back for me, you know. Um, that's why I become more and more um, demanding for myself on what I want to do next. Because the, especially the last um, six, five, six years, have been so intensively positive that I do not want to get trapped in any wrong project. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before I let you go, go with the last five or six years, I, I thought I had read, it's interesting that you say about those three pieces because they were certainly pieces that probably had more, um, more theater in them than, than movement-based, um, three very distinct works. I only got to see two out of three of them, unfortunately, live, but certainly heard a lot about Bernadette, the one I didn't get to see. Um, but I thought I had read that after We Are All Indians, you were stopping. Yeah, that, that, Is that a that, rumor? No, that, that there was uh, indeed a, another important moment for me because, you know, if, after working more than 10 years in this uh, um, let's say, environment of uh, contemporary theater and dance, I'm, I had the feeling that I, I, I was getting in danger <laughs> mm. um, because the pressure became enormously on each performance that we were making, but also... The pressure to succeed? To succeed and also to perform and to... Um, to be engaged in a lot of more things than just the performances that I was making. And um, I felt I was n not able to cope with that in a, mm. in a healthy way. And the only um, way I could express my distress about that was to shout very loudly, I'm quitting. But I didn't know it was going to have this kind of effect on on because people apparently didn't expect this and um, and took it very seriously and I did also at that time but it was only after I I quit for a few months that I realized that I missed something very essential and that was the the whole um, atmosphere in the in the studio and after two years I came back 
<laughs> so it took two years. And, of course, during that time, other people were doing projects. Yeah, through the ballet. ballet. Yeah, yeah. So in, in, in those two years, did you, did you decide to do something completely different? I studied uh, sign language. Okay. My niece, my niece um, was going to, she wanted to become a, uh, an interpreter for deaf people. And uh, she knew about this course, and I said, "Oh, I'll join you." And I, I followed. It's a, it's a course that lasts four years, but I could only do two years because after two years, I decided to do another performance. And I couldn't combine it. Right. But it was um, a fantastic experience. Hmm. Yeah, it was another way because when you talked about um, the trilogy I made with Arne, which was uh, more theater than dance, then there was also a lot of nonverbal behavior that we used as as a for me some sort of of dance and um to be confronted with sign language i knew that this this was even um going further because all of a sudden uh, a spoken language became visual and um, hmm. and then we used this this uh, idea in wolf when we when we made wolf i invited two deaf people to join the company and to be with uh, with us to make this performance, for two reasons. One was this this uh, uh, interest from me on how dancers and and people who use a movement to talk would work together, and also because it was um, the work around the composer uh, whose music is very specific, and I was intrigued by wh how would deaf people um, relate to music. That's all for this edition of NAC Dance Podcast. Join us next time for part three of the conversation with Alain Platel. Please send us your comments and questions. You can email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nacpodcast.ca. There you will find past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, this is Alary Evans saying goodbye from Canada's NEC Dance.